will be in the book of Genesis, chapter 28, from verses 12 to 22. May you please stand so that we can honor the Lord with the reading of his word. The word can be found on page 29 of your church pew Bibles. So that's Genesis 28, verses 12 to 22. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and on top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on it, uh, poured oil on top of it. He called it the name of that place, Bethel, but the name of the city was Lutz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Please be seated. The, uh, um, the church sermons are now on podcast. Um, and if you want to know more about that, you can talk to uh, Youngwo, Elder Youngwo, uh, and he can inform you how you can get the, uh, that on your phone. Uh, but he told me in the first week that it was on, it, it, there were 70 hits on that, uh, the podcast. And was it yesterday, you said? Um, uh, uh, Friday night? Uh, 29 in one day. Uh, so it, it's a it, very short period of time. Um, the sermons are, are spreading out uh, for the sake of the gospel. But if you'd like to know how to get that on your phone, um, you can, uh, some of you already know how to do it. But otherwise, uh, you can talk to Youngwo about that. Uh, we are entering into a, a new segment when it comes to the uh, book of Genesis. And what we've seen so far really shouldn't surprise us. From the time that Adam and Eve chose to rebel against their creator God in the Garden of Eden, almost every human being that has been presented to us up until this point is an abject failure. Other than Abel, who we're not told anything about other than that he got killed, and Enoch, all the rest struggled with faith. And even when they did believe, 
they had struggles even to the point of falling into sin. And that's the way that we have looked at this book. Now, you would think by this time, after having walked through all these great men of God, from Enoch, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Isaac, right up until now, that Jacob would have understood all the things that God had done, would have looked at that, and would have been a strong and powerful believer. But instead, we are presented with a scoundrel. A man who lived out his life according to what his name means. His name is a deceiver or a grasper on things. Last week, we got a a glimpse of this man to see how broken his life really was. He, He was under the manipulative hand of his mother, even as a grown individual. His mother dominated his life. And then he had the audacity to take advantage of his blind, aged father in deceiving him by impersonating his brother. And even worse, he dared to use God's name in a blasphemous way as part of that deception. The first time that we see in Jacob's life that he even mentions God at all, he does it as a blasphemer. His only thought was to use God as a means, the name of God as a means, to selfish gain. Jacob, my friends, presents us with the epitome of the true human heart. Lying, deceiving, manipulating, self-centeredness, using God as a means for personal gain. You see, without Jesus Christ in our lives, every one of us should be called Jacob. When we look in the mirror, we should say, you're a Jacob. That's the sad commentary of humanity as it's summed up by the Apostle Paul in the first chapter of the book of of Romans, where he says that we as human beings suppress the knowledge of God. The prophet Jeremiah summarizes our lives apart from a relationship with God when he says, the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you think of your life that way? Do you rise up in the morning and go, wow, my heart is desperately wicked? No, the vast majority of humanity doesn't see it that way. The vast majority of human beings today, especially in the Western world, rises up and says, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. But if you have not seen yourself as Jeremiah describes us, then you truly are a Jacob. But if you've seen yourself in that way, if you've seen yourself in your brokenness, and you must not simply bemoan the fact that you're broken, but we have far too many people in this world that do that as well. 
They look at their lives and they see themselves as, as broken, as, as helpless, as a victim. But that's as far as it goes. Instead, when you see yourself as Jeremiah describes us, as deceitful and desperately wicked. That should drive us to seek to passionately pursue the glory of God above everything. Or as Jesus put it, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And yet in the end, you need to know this, that for your life to change, to move out of that brokenness into wholeness that we sang about this morning. For your life to change, it will take the very intervention of the eternal creator and divine savior. And so our theme from this passage this morning states, creating a passionate pursuit of God's glory is a divine action that happens instantaneously over time. Doesn't that sound like a contradiction of terms? Instantaneously over time. But follow me in this study of Jacob, and you'll see just what it is that I'm talking about. And so we begin with this look at Jacob's life by noting how God's presence, whether it's in your life or whether it's in the life of Jacob, is often met with apathy. We are apathetic as a human race when it comes to knowing God. In Jacob's life, up until this point, until we get to verse 11 of chapter 28, until we get to that point, Jacob's life, God is absent. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't think about God. And so we we see in verse 11 how this works out. It says, And he came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. Now, you would think that this man would have trouble sleeping after all he had just done the day before. Deceiving his father, stealing the blessing, and even earlier the birthright from his brother, manipulating life, and now fleeing off to spare his life. But what do we find here? We find no guilt. No sense of anything wrong. He just, you know, he's on his way up to Haran and he is going to take a regular night's sleep. He's going to lay down and go to bed. Even the fear of Esau that drove him out of the home seems to have dissipated with the distance that he's traveled. And there's no thought of God. No consideration, no getting down on his knees beside his bed before going to bed and saying his nightly prayers. There's nothing. But I want you to notice that the reality of God, not only in Jacob's life, but in yours and mine, 
is often minimized. We really don't think much about God. Even many times as Christians, God fades into the background. I mean, think about your life, if you can, before becoming a Christian. Think of what it was like. How much thought did you actually ever give to God? Oh, you, you may have sort of been religious in your life. You, you might have thought about your church. You, you know, you might have gone to church even. You might even have said your prayers. But I mean, how much thought did you give to God himself? To thinking and meditating upon God and his character and his nature of desiring to know him in an intimate and personal way. As human beings, we don't do that. God is a a religious thing that we do. Now, I find it interesting here that Jacob didn't think anything about God until that fateful night when he laid down just outside of the village of Luz. Now Jacob chose to sleep next to the city of Luz. That may not mean anything to you unless you know Hebrew. The name Luz has a very similar meaning to the name Jacob. Jacob means a supplanter or a grasper, a deceiver. The word love, loves, means crafty or devious. So God has a real sense of humor. God makes Jacob arrive outside of a city that reflects his character and his nature to lie down there on that night. So Jacob takes a stone. It's probably a a fairly large stone that forms his, his bedroll on it. Perhaps he's concerned about Lying on the ground, maybe there's snakes or scorpions or or some kind of other critters that he's worried about. But he has no thought about God when he lays down on that rock. His only comment about God up until this point was that blasphemous statement that he'd made back in chapter 27. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Liar. You you are an imposter. You are taking God's name and using it as a means of deceiving your father. But notice that he doesn't say, Yahweh, my God. He says, Yahweh, your God. It's the Lord, your God. So you now, the last thing on Jacob's mind as he lays down to rest is God. He's traveled perhaps about 60 miles away from Esau. Maybe in the back of his mind there might have been, I wonder if Esau is going to send an assassin after me or... Or is he going to be satisfied with the fact that I'm gone? Or maybe as he was preparing for bed, he was thinking about, wow, I wonder what Laban's daughters look like because he's heading up there to get a wife. We don't know what was on his mind, but the one thing that was not on his mind, there's no 
concern for God. We see that in fact that three times in this verse, three times, the location is simply called a place. A certain place, a place where there's a stone, he lay down in a place. Nothing special about it. Because God is far away from his thoughts. We see it in the fact that he doesn't do anything to ask God for help on his trip, to protect him. There's nothing. There's no indication that within a few hours, Jacob's life is going to be radically changed. We live in a culture today where where God is minimized, pushed into a little box to be brought out by some on Sunday morning, and then shut back into his corner until the next Sunday. This past Friday, the TV show Law & Order SVU did some uh, shooting right here in the cemetery, right next to us. Neighbors turned out from all around to watch through the fence as the, the scenes were taking place. The film crew used our bathrooms. They had their meal downstairs in our fellowship hall. And not once did the hundred or so people who were part of that thing, not once when they came into this building did they ever ask anything about God. Ask anything about worship services. Ask anything about anything spiritual. And that's a sign of our times. God is forgotten unless God does something spectacular. So notice the reality of God then, whether it's in Jacob's life or it's in the lives of the vast majority of the people around or perhaps even in your life, God is missed. As Christians, we know that God is omnipresent. That means that God is present everywhere, fully present. When Jacob laid himself down on that rock, he missed the fact that God was present with him. That stairway into heaven that he saw in his dream wasn't built overnight. It wasn't as if some supernatural uh, construction crew as soon as Jacob lays down, came and started building quickly a ziggurat to heaven. What Jacob saw was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. You see, in the Tower of Babel, humanity tried to reach up to the heavens, tried to build their way up to heavens. But what Jacob sees is God coming down, sending down to earth. It is God who has prepared this ladder. And even as that's true for Jacob, so it is true for us. For it is not us being able to ascend into the presence of God, but it was God coming down in the person of Jesus Christ who brought the message of hope and the message of life out of the heavens and down into this earth where we are. And yet, that night, Jacob went to bed without thoughts of God. 
missing the fact that God was present. But God opened his eyes. Instantaneously, Jacob realized that the God of Isaac, your God, was a real God. And it astounded him. Look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. Well, whose fault is that? Whose fault is it, Jacob, that you didn't know that God was present? We can say the same thing to you and to me. I didn't know it. I missed God in the midst of my life, in the midst of my situation. God was here, but I was blind to it. That's the story of the book of Job. Job thinking that God had somehow forgotten him until he reaches chapter 42 of the book. Jacob's father, Isaac, was physically blind. But Jacob had a greater blindness. He was spiritually blind like Elisha's servant in the city of Dothan. For those of you who may not be familiar with that story, let me briefly tell you about that. The the king of Aram, the enemies of Israel, wanted Elisha's head. And so he sent his army to find Elisha, to capture him and to bring him back to him. Elisha's servant arises in the morning in the town of Dothan, rises up and goes out to the well to get water perhaps for breakfast or to wash up or whatever. And he sees the Aramean army surrounding the town of Dothan. He rushes back in to Elisha and he says, Man of God, we're in trouble! And Elisha is sitting there with his cup of tea or whatever it is that he drank, and he's just calmly drinking. Don't you realize that we're surrounded by an army? Doesn't break a sweat. And the says, look out the window. And Elisha says, God, open up his eyes. And the servant looks out that window, and around the Aramean army, he sees the army of God. The hosts of heaven, greater is our army than that army. You see, God is at work around us all the time. Not just in special occasions like this. And we miss Him because we're so focused on the problems of our life that we miss the presence of God in our lives. All around us, there's a spiritual world far greater and far more powerful than anything that you and I can imagine. It's everywhere. God constantly in action, going forth at His command for the sake of His people. And all too often, we're as blind as Jacob until God chooses to open our eyes. Which brings us to our second point. Here in this reflection, as we look at Jacob's life, we recognize that God's presence, whether it's in your life or Jacob's, God's presence is often met by an awakening. The necessity of an awakening in our lives. 
in a demonstration here that is reminiscent of the experience of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, Jacob's spiritual eyes through this dream are shot open. You might think that this story and Paul's Damascus road experience are the unusual things. But the truth is, every single person who has become a Christian must have a similar awakening. I know most people wish that their relationship with God had started out as powerful as as Jacob's does here or as Paul's did on the road to Damascus. Let's look at verse 12 and 13. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Three times in that one verse, we have the word behold. The word behold in in the Hebrew is is given to us sort of as a a powerful declaration. Behold! 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 He dreamed. There was a ladder set up on earth. Behold! The angels of God were ascending and descending. And each behold gets stronger. Behold, there's a ladder. Behold, there's the angels. Behold, there's a God. That has to happen in your life. It has to happen in mine. We have to be awakened to the reality of God. And it may stair step up as it did for him. And I'm sure that many of us would say, boy, if I just had that kind of an experience, if I could just have a dream like that, then I would trust God. I would know that He is real. I would never again question the existence of God. Do you think that's true? You're a fool. Do you know how many people have experienced the miraculous in their lives? The miraculous revelation of God and have rejected Him? All you have to do is read the Gospels. How many miracles Jesus performed? How many people He rose from the dead? How many thousands that He fed with a few loaves and a few fish? It turned into a mob that cried, crucify Him. No, it is not those miraculous things. that change our hearts. It is an awakening by God Himself. Notice that the reality of God in Jacob's life and in yours and mine is often mysterious. I ask you, as you contemplate what we're talking about this morning, is the written Word of God any less miraculous than Jacob's dream? Peter tells us that even his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration where he saw Jesus transformed into the glory of God and Elijah and Moses coming to talk with Jesus, he says that not even that experience is as powerful as the Word of God in changing lives. But the Scriptures themselves are a mystery. 
We read in 1 Corinthians 2 that the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit, cannot understand the Word of God apart from God's miraculous work in your life. Well, you can be assured that Jacob had already heard about God's covenant promises. The promises to Abraham, the promises to Isaac, the promises to his own mother when she gave birth to Esau and Jacob. And yet that promise had no impact on his life up until that point. Up until God awakened him through this dream, as God repeated once again the covenant promise that he had made to each of those individuals, and now is repeated in verses 13 to 15. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob would probably join with Robin in his classic Batman phrases by saying, Holy mystery! God had just unmasked Jacob's spiritual eyes to see this covenant and its truth. But notice that the reality of God is often mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. You know, I sometimes wonder... If many professing Christians have ever truly experienced God. The indifference with which many professing Christians treat spiritual things in itself is mind-blowing. The lack of conviction, the lack of commitment to the kingdom of God tends to make one think that their God is more like a tiny genie that can fit into a little bottle than it is of the sovereign creator of the universe. Back in the early 1700s, there was an event that happened in the United States and in England called the Great Awakening. I believe every time a soul is saved, there's a Great Awakening. It was for Jacob in verse 17. And he was afraid and he said... How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You see, in that instant, Jacob went from being blind to the things of God to having sight. From death, spiritually, to life being awakened within him. The writer of Hebrews tells us that that Moses when he experienced God at Mount Sinai, that he was terrified, so much so that he shook at the presence of God. Isaiah cries out that when he saw the Lord seated in his temple, that Isaiah cried out, I'm an unclean man! Ezekiel and John When they saw the glory of God, they fell down as though dead. Well, our experience might not be quite as drastic as each of those. 
The reality is, if God has taken the blinders off our eyes so that we can see our sinfulness and His holiness and the salvation that He offers to us through Jesus Christ, how can we sit around as if it really doesn't matter? How can we be indifferent to the truths of what God has said? You cannot help but have a mind-blowing experience as God awakens you to the reality of Christ, salvation, and the truth. But let me quickly move on to the third point, that God's presence, whether it's for Jacob or whether it's for you and me, God's presence always needs an acceptance. You see, every human being is daily confronted with the reality of God's presence. Romans 1 informs us that the character and the nature of God is clearly revealed in all that He has created. I held baby Jeremiah, the Moran's baby, in my arms the other day. And I was reminded once again of the absolute miracle of God weaving a child together in the mother's womb. The formation of a human child. But most people suppress that truth. That's why we have abortion. Even up until here in in New York State, right up until the moment of, of birth. To be a Christian is to have our eyes open to the glory of God and to believe, to accept the truth of God's existence, His saving power through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jacob might have wakened, like many people do, and thought, Wow, what a strange dream that was. And then just gone on his way. That might have been a possible reaction. But instead, look what we see in verses 18 and 19 as it describes his acceptance of the reality of God. It says, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. The name of the city was Luz at the first. Bethel, Beth house, El God, house of God. Bethel, he now has seen that Luz, which was at the moment that he went to bed, that of of a uh, uh, devious one, instead, now he awakens in the house of God. That didn't make him a spiritual giant, however. Notice that the reality of God is often misunderstood. Even when we experience God's presence, even when our eyes are awakened to the truth and the reality of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jacob's eyes were open to the reality of the God of Abraham and of Isaac. He still knows very little about this God or how to worship him. Even his sinful nature is not fully eradicated, as we'll see. For Jacob rises in worship, and he raises up this stone, and he makes it an altar, as if that's the only place that I can worship, is where God has come down here. He thinks of Isaac's God still, however, in terms of a pantheon. I will make you my God, instead of all those other gods that are out there. I'll choose you, Yahweh. I'll let you be my God. He hasn't fully understood the character and the nature of this God that has come to him. 
So Jacob decides to do what he is used to doing, and that is he decides to bargain with this God. Uh, you need a worshiper? Yeah, you need someone? Okay, um, you know, I know there are lots of other gods out there. I'm going to choose you, but if I'm going to choose you, you've got to do the things that I want you to do. And isn't that the way that we treat God most of the time? God, I'll, I'll worship you. I'll serve you if you do this for me. Look at verse 20, the beginning of it. And Jacob made a vow saying, if. If. God had just gone through a whole series of saying, I will, I will, I will. And Jacob says, if you will. Jacob's faith is a mustard seed. It's small. It's just been awakened, but it has a long way to go before it grows up. Do you feel that way about your faith sometimes? You try to bargain with God as if, as if somehow God needs you? Or your fear that God will fail in his promises? God, you want me to serve you? Then you need to do this for me. Or you need to do that for me. My friends, don't you get that God is sovereign? He's God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God didn't come to Jacob and say, Jacob, you know, if you do certain things, I'll be your God. Jacob has flipped it around and said, God, if you do this for me, then I'll be your worshiper. But God is God. You do not bargain with God. But Jacob has a baby faith, a faith that has to grow up, a faith that has to mature. And I'm afraid too many professing Christians are stuck where Jacob was. Just a tiny faith. God has opened your eyes to the reality of salvation through Jesus Christ, a wonderful thing. But you still think that you have to bargain with God if you're going to get anything from God. It doesn't work that way. It takes Jacob 20 years to learn you don't bargain with God. 20 years spent slaving for a man, probably the only man on earth that was more devious than Jacob himself, his mother's brother Laban. God often lets us remain in our spiritual infancy until we begin to learn to trust Him. Instantaneous over time. But notice that the reality of God is often misguided. Jacob seeks to negotiate with God. He makes numerous false assumptions about God that lead him to that. He believes that God needs him. If you do these things, then I'll do some things for you, God. Look at what verse 20 states. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. God's grace can't be purchased. A relationship with God is not something that we barter over. 
Jacob believed that he had to make God keep his promises. God had said, I will. Jacob says, well, if you want me to do things for you, you have to do these things for me. God could have struck him down at that moment. You idiot, you don't know who I am? Boom, you're gone. Fortunately, God doesn't do that. He is merciful to us. He knows that our minds are small and we don't understand all the greatness of who he is. Jacob believed that he had to make God keep his promises. But God will keep his promises without us in any way doing things for him. But Jacob also believed that God had just one special place where he came. Sunday morning, Metropolitan Baptist Church. Bethel, where I raised up this altar. Uh, That'll be God's house. You know, it's interesting that when the first king of the northern kingdom, Jeroboam, built two golden calves for the Israelites to worship, he set up one at Bethel. That's the place. That's a holy place. It's a place where Jacob met with God. So that's where we're going to go to meet with God. Jesus stood at the well of Jacob outside of Samaria. Sychar in Samaria. And he said, God doesn't meet with you here in your temple. And you don't need to meet with the Jews down in Jerusalem. But God will meet anywhere in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, and we worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in Samaria, not in Jerusalem, not at Bethel. But wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. I began by saying that God's divine action happens instantaneously over time. And that's what we see in Jacob, an instantaneous awakening as his eyes are open to the reality of God. But it will take him 20 long years before he will meet again with God. And that time learn the lessons about one God, one holy God, to be served out of love. God is sovereign. God is worthy of all worship and glory. He cannot be bought, bargained with, or bullied. We must learn to submit our hearts, our lives to him. And so I ask you in conclusion, is your relationship with God as confused as Jacob's was? If it is, if you don't know the fullness of God and and you're trying to bargain with God on things, then today, may God show you the glory of a sovereign God in control of all things, including your lives. Do you find yourself thinking of God as a negotiator? I mean, negotiate with you, God? Or do you see him as your sovereign Lord? Ultimately, Do you trust that God 
who is that sovereign God, will keep his word. Not because of what you do, but based upon his character and his nature. Let's pray. Our Father God, our faith is weak. It is small. And all too often, we tend to think of you more in light of being a a genie that we rub when we need help rather than the God that we serve. Even as we come now to close out this service with a song, I surrender all, how hard that is for us to truly rest in you. Oh God, be patient with us as you were with Jacob. Open up our understanding more and more so that we might grow from being a child to a young man and into adulthood in our faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.